This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl, and my guest this week is Jeb DeSteele. Jeb is the owner of DeSteele Consulting. They offer CCO coaching and customer performance assessments. He is also the author of the book, Competing for Customers, which I highly recommend. Uh, there's a, I showed him earlier that there's a ton of, ton of uh, corners bent and, and highlighted, um, but, uh, for that. but it's all about why delivering business outcomes is critical in the customer first revolution. So prior to his current role, he spent 21 years at Oracle with the last 12 years as the chief customer officer at Oracle. Welcome to the podcast, Jeb. Thanks very much, Nick. Glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing I always try to find a little nugget, um, e- either uh, you're, uh, you, you know, you toured the world with, Zeb, uh, with, with Led Zeppelin or, uh, you know, you, you have a, you know, you're, you're secretly really good at guitars or you're, you're a rapper, uh, underground rapper. But uh, what is your nugget that you want to share with the listeners? Oh, man, I wish I could say that any of those three things are true, but, <laughs> but they're not, especially the Led Zeppelin one. That would be awesome. Uh, I grow avocados. We we grow. We have got about twenty five big avocado trees on the property, and we uh, we grow a few thousand pounds of avocados every every season. Wow! And so, every how day. many how many of those pounds do you eat? Uh, you would be amazed how much is consumed right here. Uh, half, maybe a quarter, maybe half. It's it's a lot of avocados. It's a lot of avocados, and I I've even tried shipping them, and they believe me. Trust me. Don't don't do this. They don't ship well. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I actually kind of think it's maybe not entirely legal to do that. So not a good idea. Yeah, this this is not being recorded. Uh, oh, well, it's a it's a podcast. So um, the one note to self is if you're going to learn anything from this episode is is don't ship avocados. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the, the main topic I want to talk about today is um, adapting to change and, and understanding uh, what your what you went through as the as the CCO? Um, so how did your job change from the first day to the last day as uh, customer officer? It uh, yeah changed massively actually. I so that so literally the first day. I think you probably mean figuratively, but literally on the first day, I um, I brought the new team together, which was just kind of a had just kind of a miscellaneous combination of functions that didn't quite make sense together. And we spent probably two thirds of the day trying to figure out what our name should be. And then the other third of the day, which yeah, classic. The other third of the day was really about deciding what we thought our priorities ought to be. But, but basically in a, in a nutshell, um, aside from that first day, you know, we really went from the tactical, I guess, to the strategic. So, so early on in the team's formation, we were very focused, for example, on on feedback and being a great advocate for customers or ombudsman for customers. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a lot to do with customer references. So we were really trying to globalize a customer reference team and really be effective in that regard. And what we've done since 
And uh, it really was quite, quite an evolution to get to this point was just, just to, we developed and kind of followed and, and just continued to work on evolved a, a, a more comprehensive model, you know, and that, and that model really represented um, all the feedback components, all the customer engagement components, all the brand advocacy components um, and, and value realization, which is something that you and I, in fact, were just talking to, talking about a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So looking back, would you have, have changed anything that you guys did? I d yes. Oh, for sure. I, um, you know, I think we could have been faster. I think we could have done a better, faster job of engaging the sales and marketing. Um, we could have done more to support customer deals. We could have done more to resolve customer thorny customer issues. We could have been even better brand advocates as opposed to relatively tactical customer referencing. Um, and I and I kind of wish that we had focused on a few more things really well. And that's probably my my I guess my natural tendency, which kind of bled into the to the way that this team functioned to a degree, was just you know I hear of a challenge, I hear of a problem, I want to jump into it and try and solve it. And and the risk, of course, when you do that is you uh, you spread yourself thin and and do many many things you know, mediocrely, I suppose. So focusing on a few things and doing those few things really well, I think would have, would have made a big difference. The, um, I guess the other thing that I would have focused on more earlier because I learned later about this is storytelling. Storytelling, especially as it relates to talking to, finding an interesting new impactful way to talk to your own organization about what customers are actually experiencing. That is really impactful. And I feel like if I could have, gotten onto that train maybe two or three years earlier, we would have been further along. Um, and I guess the last thing maybe I would have done a little bit differently is to acknowledge that and, and really broadcast and really institutionalize the fact that we were really agents of change. We got, we got really good at being change agents, driving change management, um, but it took, you know, it took, it took years to, to get to that point, to have the credibility and the capability and the people with the right skills, you know, ready to, to tap into. Right. Yeah. So going from a, uh, a mismatched of, of people uh, on the very first day, trying to figure out uh, your, your team name to yes. uh, driving results for the customer. I think it's an ever evolving experience. Yeah, totally. I mean, the other thing I should mention too, is that I literally did not know a soul, another person who was a chief customer officer or who ran a customer programs team. So this was all kind of invention on the fly, which was great. And I felt like the, the good news is I felt like we had the license to do that and, and incubate some really interesting things. And I think there was big payoff in that, but it, it also can be a little, uh, a little nerve wracking unless you've got some sort of a framework to start with. Yeah. Do you, um, so fast forwarding today and somebody was the chief customer officer, do you feel like somebody has the license to do that since there are so many people in as a chief customer officers or, or having brand advocate? Well, you know, Nick, since, since those early days, as, as you would hope, um, years later, I've talked to a lot of chief customer officers and I've, and I, and you know, I've talked to a lot of CMOs who basically are as part of their normal job performing at least aspects of the function of a chief customer officer. And I've talked to customer success leaders, um, and every single person, I mean, truly every single person does their job differently. Their scope of work is different. The way they do it's different. The way they're measured is different. Um, so I think it should be that. If it is that, wonderful. I felt like I had that luxury. Uh, and we worked for it too. I mean, we, we had to work to, you know, to, to earn 
the the right to do some experimentation. Um, one of the things that I th that you know that comes up in a lot of conversations I have with with CCOs and and other people that think about this stuff is, well, how you know I really want to build and invest in a large organization, and the larger the organization, the bigger influence it might have. I feel like the absolute opposite is true. Mm -hmm. I, I think in this kind of a role, which is really all about being a change agent, as, as mentioned a few minutes ago, um, you are best served, uh, almost in every case, you're best served in having a relatively small organization that's more of a staff function than a line function and can, you know, kind of, I would say, sort of fly under the radar and, in fact, in doing that, be able to, to experiment on some things and, you know, take on board the things that work and then even just push those things out to some other, some organization that can really operationalize it and then you move on to the next interesting thing. So I, I think the short answer is it, it doesn't happen most of the time, I'd even say, but when it does, it's great. And if you think about an org design with that in mind, I think that would be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a sounds like a great plan. Keeping keeping the customer focused and inside that org design, um, you know, as leaders in customer experience, they're so focused on on things like what journey mapping and, and net promoter score and design thinking, and that they fail to translate their great initiatives back into business results. You know, from your perspective, why is that? Uh, I may have a bit of a contrarian view here. Perfect. Uh, perfect. Okay, good, 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 good. That's acceptable. Um, I feel like, I don't, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with those things individually and breaking down what they're supposed to do. But what I do think is that it becomes, it, it can often become, to be fair, it can often become more about the process versus the outcomes. And, and what I've very carefully tried to avoid doing in my, my years doing this stuff is I tried to avoid in any way feeding into the perception that customer experience is all about workshops and process. I mean, it's really got to be about business results for the company you work for and that being derived from business results that your, that your customer or client achieves. I, I do think that CX initiatives get somewhat of a bad rap and I, and I think the more that any of us feed into that, the, you know, the more legitimate that, that rap can be. So, you know, working on outcomes versus process, I think, is, is, is a big deal for me. So I, I'm not a big fan of, of the, um, you know, the workshop or the journey mapping sort of activity. Yeah. So why, why not the journey map? You know, you, you, you just shared how you're not a big fan of it. Why? What's the, where's the pain point? Let's, let's keep ruffling the feathers. Yeah, that's, that's fine. We can ruffle those feathers. So, I, I, you know, I think that for the most part, and this has certainly been the case with lots of people that I've talked to, whether it's clients, customers, you know, my team, um, you know, Oracle's customers, I feel like we kind of already know the answer. Um, and, and, what, and I think what, what can happen oftentimes is you, you as the chief customer officer or somebody with a similar title or responsibility, you know, comes in, brings a bunch of people together into a workshop and you end up spending unbelievable resources getting to what you already know what mm. you know may be imperfect and it could be refined but i think there's a there's a point and the point's relatively early in my mind where where you hit um you know diminishing returns and i, and I think the, you know the other aspect of this that i think about um is that when you get people engaged with that sort of a laborious process and i really do mean laborious literally it's it's it, it can be a lot i think the chance that you take is the risk of 
quickly disenfranchising the people that are participating in that process because of their expectations versus your ability then to take that and back to the, you know, to the premise of your question, actually get something done, actually realize some benefits for, um, for what you're, what you're spending. And the, I mean, I guess the other thought that I have on that is that, you know, the role of the chief customer officer has been around for, I don't know, probably a dozen, a dozen years, maybe 13, 14 years, something, no more than that. Um, and I think that if you look at this whole idea of whether it's process oriented or results oriented, um, that there's a, there's a reason why the idea of a chief customer officer is largely unfulfilled. And, and I think that's very much, I think it's very much rooted in the fact that there's this idea that people are spending a lot of time developing and executing process with, with really no, at least not a quick enough result that you can grab onto. Yeah. And, and is it because it's not aligned? Is it because they didn't accomplish those quick wins? Is it because it's not aligned with business outcomes? What is um, the main reason? Is it because they didn't get buy into senior leadership team? Like what are the one or two things that why CX executives or CX leaders fail? Um, I think it, it kind of goes back to my earlier point about having spoken to so many people that, that really are doing this day in and day out and everybody doing it differently. There's no, there's no framework. Like if you're, if you're a chief financial officer or a chief operating officer or a CMO, you know, there's, there's a pretty clearly defined, it may not be written in law, but there's a pretty clearly defined idea of what you need to get done, how you go about doing it, how you organize, how you're measured and all of that. There is nothing like that for chief customer officers. So, so one of my, my one of my missions at, at this point in my life is to say there, you know, follow, follow the framework. The framework will necessarily be a framework. It'll be imperfect for you in specific situations, but adapt it, make it your, make it your own, but start with something that gives you, you know, an, an overarching view of what the customer strategy for the organization should, should look like and, and how it could be measured and how you could be interacting with the other executives management in, in your, uh, in your organization. Yeah, that's great advice. What, so, so you're not a, a huge fan of, of journey mapping. What, what should companies do instead? Um, I, you know, one of the things that I recommend that you do early for the proverbial quick win is mm -hmm. to, um, is to look at ease of, ease of doing business. Um, yeah, I don't talk about it a whole lot in that book, but I've written a number of blog posts about ease of doing business. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about it. Um, the whole idea is to find the ease of doing business hotspots. My thesis, if you, you know, from before that you, you, you know more than you think and that you don't need to spend a huge amount of time with the organization discovering what's already discovered. Um, you know, come up with what you know to be and what the organization can tell you with relatively minimal effort. The, uh, what are the big hotspots? You know, what are the things that are really creating the most amount of friction for customers and knock out those obvious things. And they, and they tend to be, I mean, over and over again, billing and contracting and transacting. The other thing to think about, and I think this is consistent with what I'm saying too, is that, you know, if, if, if your employees are feeling the pain, you know, forget that it'd be great for them to go talk to a customer and kind of get interesting insights from that customer, or you should too, if employees are feeling the pain with billing or contracting or, or any kind of commercial transacting, odds are, you know, odds are the customer will, your customers will too. Um, so it's things like those um, things that you can bring the team together 
um, and address shared problems, but with a thesis already prepared so you can get quick buy-in and then move on those things. I mean, I, I think over and over again in the, the interviews that I've done with organizations, um, you know, addressing those two or three, even one or two, you know, ease of doing business challenges or areas of friction can make an outsized contribution to your customer's level of satisfaction and loyalty. Yeah. So when it comes to hotspots, um, how often should you be paying attention to those hotspots? Mm, I would do it on a quarterly, on a quarterly cycle. Um, what we used to do where, when I worked at Oracle was we used to put together a list of these kinds of hotspots and most of them were ease of doing business related, but not all of them were. And we were on a six month cycle. And if I were to, another thing, if I were to do it over again, I probably would have said, you know, we really had to do this on a quarterly basis instead of a, instead of a six month basis. But um, that can be a big impact. And, and, and basically just, just, the, just the notion of having a list that is widely disseminated across the company that shares at a moment in time, quarter to quarter or half year to half year, whatever, you know, kind of what the key themes are that need to be addressed across the company to make a big impact. That's, that's, that's really impactful. Some of those things will be owned by an individual, um, you know, within the organization that's relatively self-contained, but the, the, but the biggest impact is with the other issues that are owned by larger, you know, but by, by a number of different organizations and they're inhibited from being, you know, really successful because the handoffs aren't quite right or their priorities are different or they're, they're measured in a different way that drives different behaviors. Um, but having that list and using that list fundamentally as a as sort of a change agent tool can be really powerful. And a lot of that's ease of doing business oriented. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. think that um, organizations will need to continue to escalate that so it's is now will eventually turn into monthly um, reviewing of those hotspots because of changing uh, expectations um, yeah but I think there's a point where doing those reviews you know monthly instead of quarterly and and maybe one would argue that quarterly instead of half yearly just gets you so far bogged down in the process that it's that it's self-defeating so I'm, I'm not sure that I would I would go beyond quarterly, but um, but I think just having that level of visibility and being really consistent and communicating broad and deep into the organization about it and getting people engaged, because believe it or not, people will generally come forward and say, yeah, that is an issue and how can I help? You know, that, that happens more than, than you think, or certainly more than I thought when I first started doing this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the 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 biggest thing that customer experience struggle with is trying to find buy-in 
um, finding a way to, to talk to the C-suite. So how do you go about building a business case around the ease of doing business with your company and then going and talking to the C-suite and saying, hey, uh, it's, it's you know um, fall time, it's Q3 going into Q4, I need to start planning for yep. uh, the, the next year. Here, how do I, how do I show them uh, that I need capital for that buy-in? There's a, yeah, the good news is that there's, I think, a very repeatable process that you can follow. And it really is all about um, identifying, you know, what the basic ease of doing business drivers are for your organization. And it could vary by customer segment. That's, I think that's an important point. Um, and then you can take those drivers and glean from what those drivers tell you, you know, really what the hot spots are. And again, if you just ask 10 different people across your organization, they would probably jump straight to the hotspots and forget the drivers and be pretty darn accurate, but to put, be a little bit more disciplined about it and to set up somewhat of a process that you could do repeatedly and, and easily communicate to the organization and pull the organization into, you know, I would set up the drivers. I would, I would select the hotspots coming out of those drivers. I would go through an analysis and prioritization effort, which basically it's as simple as, you know, how much value versus how easy or hard it is to, to execute on that particular thing. Um, and then it's a matter of developing initiatives and action plans and then working with the organization, um, either as, as somebody who is actively driving it or even as a more, you know, sort of passive facilitator developing and, and executing on those action plans um, and, and the strategy and then putting some measurements in, in place as well. So, I mean, I think, and none of that really is, is it all new and revolutionary? But I mean, it just, the whole point, I guess what I'm saying is that it, you need a level of discipline that's not too process oriented, but sufficiently process oriented that you, you actually can, can do it repeatedly and communicate it clearly. Yeah, yeah. So it's important to have um, a relationship with that C-suite, but um, you had mentioned, I think it was in a blog post, the importance of having the chief customer officer and the CIO kind of uh, close at the hip or a close partnership. Um, why is that so important? Yeah, so I, um, I got to thinking and I, and I read some articles and journals about, um, I, was, I was really focused on technology and it kind of occurred to me, and this was, and this was actually even in the last year post my, my Oracle years as chief customer officer there that you really need the CCO to be able to, or the organization that's responsible for customer experience and customer strategy um, to help the CIO set their priorities. Um, I mean, if you think about what the CIO is set out to do, even, even or, or especially these days with, with the pandemic we're all wrestling with, how to, how to get through and then come out the back end of, um, you know, what are the biggest impacts on the customer? What are the biggest impacts? And, and the CIO, I can assure you, is thinking about that. And I, and I can assure you is making some assumptions about setting his or her priorities. And um, again, it, must, it may seem obvious, but I think it should be, has to be the CCO's job to jump into the CIO's process or jump into the CIO's office and say, look, I, I need to help you set those priorities. I can at least validate what your assumptions are and, and give you a maybe even a more reasoned, educated 
view of what you know of, of what our customers are saying and what do we what do we need to do if we lost market share because of because of the global pandemic to recapture that market share what do we need to do to do a better job of engaging with customers in a completely different way that we didn't have to do pre pre pandemic um, and not 100% of the time but but uh, almost always there's a major technology component and there's a a pretty you know easy marriage that can be had between um, the individual that's responsible for deploying technology and the other individual responsible for, for really having an effect on, on the customer experience. Yeah, in, in, you know, in your book, Competing for Customers, <clears throat> excuse me, you talk about um, looking at um, understanding business objectives, understanding that, and then, and then reverse engineering that and working back toward the technology. It's not necessarily you going to the CIO and, and or the uh, the people below them and saying, "Hey, I want this new technology." And yes. uh, CCO or, or Jeb is saying, "Hey, wait a second. Uh, based off of what I see, it's probably not the best fit, and here's why." But um, it, having that that uh, trust and transparency between those two leaders yes. uh, will drive the focus back to the customer. Yes, exactly. And yeah, the, I mean, I think the bottom line in this, the message is, don't you know, don't do what everybody else does, and that is go to the CIO and say, I want this technology because I need it and my folks want it. And, and I think it'll, it'll, you know, improve the world for me. Um, you know, put the case together and have the conversation. And, and I, I can almost guarantee that at least nine times out of 10, your sense of priorities rooted in the customer experience and how to drive, how to, how, how to help customers derive value for what you're doing with them will line up very nicely with what the CIO's objectives are in terms of making decisions about what to deploy next and then deploying whatever that is next. Yeah. Is, is there specific questions that um, the customer experience leader or CCO should be asking the CIO on a consistent basis? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's as simple as saying, hey, would you show me what your current plan is and help me understand the thought process you went through and how you set the priorities because I may have a different view or I may even help you argue for the investments that you want to make because what I have, if I do my job properly, is the customer's input that talks to what results that the customer needs, but also reasons through you know, what the impact is on our own firm, our own organization in terms of you know, top line or bottom line impact. Yeah, and, and then the risk behind that is obviously it's not focusing on the customer. Uh, it's not driving business outcomes or, or aligning yeah. uh, what the CIO wants, but um, you know you potentially you know lost lost revenue or lost customer because you're not uh, doing what the customer wants. But is there anything else that um, on on the risk side of not having that partnership? Um. Oh, clearly, um, it, it, and it really is knowing is, is not having any sort of um, coherent or holistic customer strategy. If you don't have a, a cohesive or coherent customer strategy, um, you're, you're going to have a hard time. And if you don't have, and I don't care if it's a CCO or a CMO or somebody who's titled, um, you know, head of customer success, you got you need somebody who wakes up every morning and thinks about what that framework is, how that framework should be adapted to this business, and how do I really use it to develop and demonstrate that there's a coherent 
customer strategy. And it's really, I mean, it's invariably, I, I think in all cases, it's in some combination of um, acquisition, retention, customer effort or ease of doing business, which we talked about, which I think is so important, um, customer engagement, the connectivity, by the way, between employee engagement and customer engagement, I think is a big deal. Um, driving customer adoption of your product or services, um, deriving the, or calculating the actual value derived by the customer. So value and then, and then brand advocacy. Those are, if I counted right, if I got them all, that's seven or eight things that I think that every cohesive customer strategy has. And, and if you don't have that, you are going to feel the impact or, or make a, a less than acceptable um, uh, contribution to any of those things, acquisition or retention or ease of doing business or, or engagement or what have you. Yeah, it's great, great stuff. Um, and, and last question is, you mentioned that the, um, the correlation between customer engagement and employee engagement. Why do some organizations not um, understand the correlation between the employee experience and the customer experience? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, um, I, I feel like in my own personal experience in, in kind of developing that, that level of correlation, um, I, I hadn't really thought about it much until I stumbled on it. I don't know that it's, it's completely, I mean, it seems intuitive now, but I don't know that it's entirely intuitive to most people. And, and generally, there's not a lot of connective tissue, I think, between, say, the CHRO of an organization and marketing or customer success or the, C the office of the chief customer officer. So mm -hmm. I, I just think you have to be deliberate about it. And I don't, I don't think people just put a lot of effort into thinking that through. But I, I mean, I've found pretty much 100% of the time that if you improve the employee experience, whether that employee is in a front office, like a, like a rep or a solution architect or a, or a sales consultant um, or an account manager, it, you get as much benefit for those folks as you do, or you get, <coughs> excuse me, you get tremendous benefit if it's front office or back office related activity. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. <coughs> I wrap up every podcast with uh, two questions. Uh, the first question is um, what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? And then okay. the second question is, uh, if you could leave a note to all the customer service or customer experience professionals, <laughs> and it would reach everybody, uh, what would it say? Ah, okay. Well, the, for the first one, uh, if you'll let me be, am I allowed to be a little bit political? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Might impact your, your, your viewership. or It'll affect 50% of them. There you go. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. I, you know what I found, uh, and it may, and it may seem like an obvious one for certain, for a certain percentage of the population, but, but in the, in the current strange world we've been in, we've been living in, um, I've found actually Barack Obama to be inspirational to me. <laughs> uh, I found him to be inspirational to me because there's a certain sort of calm and reason and intelligence grace empathy all those sort of things i get from that I, I think it's a it's a very strange world we're living in it's a strange place to bring children and, and grandchildren in in my case grandchildren um and i and i think somebody like that sort of the voice of reason with that calmness and, and grace is at least for me and i can I'll only speak for myself is very helpful to me um, and I think if it's somebody else for people who are maybe on the complete opposite end of the spectrum politically than I am, I'm sure there's somebody that would give that same sense of calm and reason. 
Sure. Uh, let's see. Your other question was, oh, if what would I could what would I communicate? Note, yeah, if you could leave a note to all the customer service or customer experience professionals, and and uh, Jeb could reach everybody, <laughs> what would it say? Um, look at what you do and relate it to what your customers' outcomes are supposed to be. Um, and if you don't know the answer, by the way, go get it. Keep asking questions until you do. And when you do have that answer, talk about it all the time. Talk about it all the time and let that kind of seep into or permeate, you know, really what you do, the programs you're contemplating, how you set priorities, how you work and communicate with other parts of your organization. You can't go wrong. It's great, great advice. Uh, you can connect with Jeb uh, on LinkedIn, uh, Jeb DeSteel, and it's J-E-B-D-A-S-T-E-L, or T-E-E-L. There you uh, go. And the website is uh, distillconsulting.com. Uh, Jeb, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and uh, look forward to learning more, uh, staying connected on LinkedIn and, and growing to learn more what, what you are up to. Thanks, Nick. I really appreciate it. Great conversation. Thank you. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing it with them by giving them the link of this episode or directly from your app. And last, if you'd like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.